0: Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the Brian Hyde Show. It is the day before Independence Day. Yes, that would be July 3rd for those of you keeping track. And uh, we've got a great show ahead of us today. In fact, a lot of great things to talk about. We'll talk about Independence Day in particular. And uh, hopefully, every one of us will have a little bit of time this weekend to uh, reflect on the stunning accomplishment represented by what uh, the Founding Fathers gave us in their declaration of independence and maybe even some time to commit ourselves or recommit ourselves to pledge our own lives fortunes and sacred honor to perpetuating their love of liberty judge andrew napolitano has a really remarkable commentary about uh, when in the course of human events and i think uh, those are words that uh, very much apply to our day as well and so we'll touch on that a little bit later on in the hour you know so much of what we're hearing in the news these days about coronavirus Very calculated to feed our fears, keep us clamoring for someone to save us. What if there were some good news, specifically about herd immunity, that isn't being trumpeted quite as widely for some reason? I guess what I'm asking is, would you want to hear it? Okay, good, because we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the hour as well. We're also going to talk about how the fear generated by COVID-19 is causing uh, the people who seek power... To take full advantage of us and try to seize as much control as we are willing to let them. There are even those who are floating the idea right now of punishing, like criminally punishing, those who refuse to submit to contact tracer questioning. An incredible story out of New York. And, you know, it's just, it's the next level of escalation. In fact, before I go any further, can I just tell you, I had a conversation last night with a really, really dear friend and. He's very passionate about we are in grave danger right now of seeing our economy absolutely crash and burn if they try to shut it down again. And, and, and his take was, look, we, we just this means we've got to put on the masks, We've got to do whatever they're telling us to do in order to uh, slow the spread of covid-19. And on the one hand, I understand, you know, people don't want to to see the disease spread because it's what he's saying is it gives the excuse to those who are in power to exercise some of these incredible powers that they've taken under themselves to uh, to shut things down, to tell people or businesses you're essential. You're not. And I have a slightly different take. And we had quite a spirited discussion. But my take is this. As important as the economy is, as important as our livelihoods are, they are meaningless if we hand over our freedoms in exchange for being allowed to to continue to engage in commerce. Now, I'll go into some detail in this a little bit later in the show, but but the bottom line is this: I'm going to sound like a bit of a rebel here. No, I'm going to sound I'm going to sound like I'm going to sound like a radical who would declare independence and then uh, you know stand up to the crown and. I don't know. Maybe there'll be a holiday about this. We'll, we'll find out. The people in power, the Gavin Newsoms, the uh, Jay Insleys, the, uh, the uh, Gretchen, I forget her name. Anyway, the governor of, of Michigan. Sorry, I don't care enough about her to really to really even know her name. Uh, these are the people who are stepping forward and saying, well, this is what we have to do. And, and they're they're flexing authority that was never explicitly given them. And what we need to do at this point is learn how to say no. And I mean, as a people, Um, this is going to sound very anarchist, and I don't mean to scare you, but there are some areas in which we need to refuse to be ruled. And as we talk about, uh, you know, the herd immunity and talk about, yes, COVID-19 cases are on the rise. Have you seen what the deaths are, though? Have you seen how the deaths have declined even as the case numbers have exploded due to increased testing? There is good news out there. And part of the good news is that in spite of the fact that there is a very serious virus out there on the loose, people who are catching it are recovering more quickly and they are at less risk than we were told. There is no reason for these people in power to be shutting down and tinkering with the economy and telling some people you're essential and telling others you're not. Sorry, it sucks to be you, but you and your business can fail and your family can just figure out what to do with all the financial hardship. At the root of this is the question of, is that a proper function? Is that a, an appropriate function for government? And what I'm getting at is we've got to be able to look beyond that immediate fear, whether it's the fear of catching a disease, whether it is the fear of losing a job or losing a business or the economy cratering. Those are secondary to the importance of keeping government on its leash, keeping those who are in authority accountable and limited to whatever has explicitly been given them and not allow them to take and run with powers that were never theirs to begin with. And it doesn't require a violent revolution like you saw up in Seattle. We don't have to create our little chaz or chop, you know, segments and and secede away from them. All we have to do is withdraw our consent. And you saw that in so many ways, and, and, and this, this is where I'm asking you, be optimistic. When you see thousands upon thousands of people going to the beach, in spite of the fact that Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, said, you can't go to the beach, we've shut the beaches down. There came a point where even when the police were out there trying to enforce it, they finally just had to throw their hands in the air and say, we can't do this, there's too many people. It's not anarchy in the sense that, oh, it's law of the jungle, every man for himself It's a calculated decision on the part of responsible citizens to govern themselves rather than wait for someone to govern them from without. And I I trust you can see the difference. I'm very passionate about this. I hope it doesn't come off as angry. I do get uh, pretty uh, frustrated when I see, you know, some of the stupid things that are being suggested by, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci and other various uh, officials, many of whom are not even elected. Well, we have to do this. And maybe if you're good, if you wear your mask like a good little boy and girl, and if you, you know, jump through this hoop and jump through that hoop, maybe we'll uh, open the things back up a little bit more quickly. But forget that. Be responsible. Be the person who will take charge of your own destiny and take responsibility for your own health. Oh, there was such an excellent commentary. In fact, I want to share this with you. This is, I'm a little bit sidetracked, but this is so good. I have to share this with you. This is from a friend of mine I met several years ago when I was participating in a TEDx event in uh, St. George, Utah. Her name is Cheryl, Cheryl Arnold Mosley, a brilliant, brilliant nurse. She traveled the world. She actually worked with Mother Teresa During her lifetime and uh, Cheryl is Cheryl is one of these wonderful voices of reason who just uh, she loves people she loves humanity there is nothing radical about this woman and I love the comment that she posted because if anybody has a vested interest in you know people being careful out there it's her here's her message she says oh and she's a nurse I mentioned that right she says stop whining people I've been in the hospital five times with four surgeries in the last one and a half years. Breast cancer, heart and aortic aneurysm surgery, massive, major, massive lung blood clots, and last week, polyps on my vocal cords. She says, I'm 73. I wear a mask everywhere I go. I go to the market, post office, get takeout food, go for walks in nature, and just don't mingle with groups of people. I keep myself at least six feet away from people and wash my hands many times a day. Those have been the guidelines since the beginning. She says, stop whining and blaming anyone else. Be responsible. Can you get what she's saying there? She's not saying everybody else, you have to do this and you do this for me. And she gives the example later on. She comments in this same thread on Facebook that she went to pick up dinner on her way home from an appointment. And there were at least 30 people outside the door of the place where she was picking up dinner waiting for seating. Nobody was wearing a mask. They were all crammed together, laughing and talking. Now, do you suppose she got out there and, and started lecturing them? No. She sat in her car. She called in to the hostess who brought out her order. She opened the back door, placed it on the floor behind her seat, as she was asked to do. And Cheryl's point is, look, I wasn't going to walk through those people and wait for my food. She was using common sense. And that's what she's calling upon others to do. This This is so beautiful because this is a nurse. This is someone with very extensive medical training. It's also someone who is very much at risk. My goodness, what this woman has been through in the last year and a half. She's at greater risk than just about anybody within the sound of my voice, but she doesn't go around casting blame and throwing guilt and trying to make everybody else bend to her will. She takes responsibility for herself. She follows the guidelines. She wears a mask. She social distances. She washes her hands. That's how it's done. Thank you, Cheryl, for providing such a perfect example of what it looks like to take responsibility for your own health. This is how it's done, folks. It's not done through, you know, the the whining and the guilt-throwing and trying to manipulate other people into doing what I want you to do. Now, if I was in her presence and she said, would you please put on a mask, you better believe I would put it on. But she's got the right idea. Let's learn from her example. When we come back, we're going to talk about free speech, specifically the new censors. John Stossel has a powerful new article, and I think it's one we should all hear, because your voice needs to be among those voices speaking out. Just like that, we are back. Thanks for joining me here on The Brian Hyde Show. By the way, if you find value in the message that I'm sharing and the articles that I share with you or just uh, the the thoughts that, uh, that you can encounter in the course of uh, this broadcast or this podcast, please do me this small favor and just uh, share it with a friend. Let somebody else know. Look, I'm not trying to solve all the world's problems. I'll take a crack at it, right? I'll give it the old college try. But more than anything, I just want to give people some encouragement and let them know that uh, there is... There's truth and there's light out there. I'm not the source of it, but I'm very, very thrilled to have the ability to help spread some of it just because I know there are people looking for it, starving for it, and tired of being force-fed, you know, uh, approved truths that apparently, you know, only somebody else could determine if you really need to hear it or not. Mine is, you know, take it or leave it. You don't have to agree. I hope that what I'm sharing with you provides some value. If it does, consider letting a friend know. Help us get the word out. All right. That said, John Stossel, one of the few journalists out there who I believe really deserves the title of journalist. And I say that in the sense that he does have his own slant on things, but he's also very good at separating his personal feelings from the facts. Now, he'll tell you if 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 he is is leaning a particular way. He's very upfront about it. He doesn't try to pretend that, uh, you know, well, you know, of course, I, I'm just telling you the way things are, uh, and, and, and therefore, you know, you have to agree with me uh, because, uh, you know, because of this or because of that. He's very good at keeping labels and judgment out of it. This is something you will not find in other areas of journalism. And, and if you can accept the idea that everybody has their own, I, I want to use the word slant, but it sounds kind of loaded, but you get what I'm saying? We all have our own bias. Some are better than others at keeping it to a minimum. I think John is one of those individuals. He has an article. This was I found this on everythingvoluntary.com. It's called "The New Censors." Tell me if this sounds familiar. I don't know if this has ever you know caused concern for you. He says, "Do you say what you think? That's risky. You may get fired." He says, you've probably heard about a New York Times editor resigning after approving an opinion piece by Senator Tom Cotton that suggested the military to step in to end riots. Apparently, many Times reporters tweeted out the same alarmist wording, running this puts black New York Times staffers in danger. To which John Stossel asks, really? How? In his new video... Robbie Suave, a reason magazine editor who writes about young radicals, explains they only claim it because that's their tactic for seizing power in the workplace. And they learned this tactic from their so-called woke professors and fellow activists at expensive colleges, says Suave. So last year Harvard students demanded that Professor Law Professor Ron Sullivan resign as resident dean. Why? Because he had agreed to be a part of Harvey Weinstein's legal defense team. A female student said, I don't feel safe although Sullivan had been a dean for many years. Care to guess what happened? Yeah, Sullivan resigned. At UCLA, business school lecturer Gordon Klein rejected a request to give black students different treatment on their final exam because of George Floyd's death. Klein also pointed out that since the class was online, he had no way of knowing which students were black. He also told students, remember, Martin Luther King famously said that people should not be evaluated based on the color of their skin. This sounds like common sense, right? Well, the activist group Color of Change, which once demanded that John Stossel be fired, launched a petition to have Klein, quote, terminated for his extremely insensitive, dismissive, and woefully racist response. UCLA quickly caved. Klein is now on mandatory leave. It's that simple. Stossel says now that many former college radicals have jobs at elite media companies, they demand that newspapers not say certain things. When in response to looting during George Floyd protests, the Philadelphia Inquirer ran the insensitive headline, Buildings Matter Too, 44 staff members claimed that puts our lives at risk. Now, their letter didn't give any evidence as to how it threatened their lives. Stossel notes, in fact, today both blacks and whites are safer than ever, but they won and the editor resigned. He says a week later, young activists at NBC News tried to silence The Federalist, a respected conservative site that NBC labeled far right. The Federalist had published a column that said correctly that media falsely claimed that violent riots were peaceful. But the column did contain a mistake. It quoted a government official saying tear gas was not used when it had been used. NBC then ran an article bragging that Google blocked the Federalist ads after an NBC news verification unit brought the Federalist's racism to Google's attention. NBC's reporter even thanked left-wing activist groups for their quote collaboration. But NBC was wrong. Stossel says Google didn't cut off the Federalist. Google merely threatened that if the Federalist didn't threatened that if the Federalist didn't police its comment section. It was one time when the activist mob's smears failed, but they still keep trying to kill all sorts of expression. Some now even want the TV show, the children's TV show Paw Patrol canceled because it suggests that law enforcement is noble. Stossel says when activists decide that certain words or arguments are offensive, no one must use those words. But Suave says we're supposed to occasionally offend each other because you might be wrong. We have to have a conversation about it. We have to challenge dogma. What if we were still with the principle that you couldn't speak out against the king? That's the history of the Middle Ages. That's when the authorities arrested Galileo for daring to say that the earth revolved around the sun. Suave says that's the condition that all humans lived under until just the last 300 years. And it was a much less happy place. Then we came to an idea that we improve society by having frank and sometimes difficult conversations about policy issues, philosophy, about how we're going to get along and live together. And his point is crystal clear here. Stossel says life has been much better since people acquired the right to speak freely. But there's some pretty serious opposition. Elite colleges, he says, spread the idea that speech can be a form of violence. Have you ever heard this phrase? Words are like bullets, they say. Stossel says, no, words are words. Bullets are bullets. We must keep them apart. He says, when entitled leftists declare themselves the sole arbiters of truth, it's crucial that we all speak up for free speech. I'll post this with the show notes. You can find them at lovingliberty.net. I think he's on to something here. And I think this illustrates more powerfully than ever why we have to be willing to speak up. Look, I understand it's risky. And, and can I make a distinction here? Because I know there are some people and I used to be the guy I used to be the guy who loved to go and pick a fight or or engage in, you know, uh, rhetorical combat, rhetorical wrestling, so to speak, on f- social media. Someone's wrong on the Internet. Oh, man, I put on my wrestling outfit and away I went, you know, to do a, an atomic knee drop, you know. <laughs> I, it was part of my red meat throwing phase. It's not something I'm proud of, but I don't know that it was. I don't know that it was a very helpful thing. And it was there was a time where having those kinds of arguments I thought was a productive use of time. I have since learned that if you really want to speak the truth, you've got to be willing to be misunderstood, to be misrepresented, to be called out, to have someone, you know, puff up and want to to go full gorilla and, and, you know, challenge what you're saying. But you don't have to do that in kind. And I don't want somebody else deciding what is appropriate for us to say, what is appropriate for us to discuss or even to question. It's crucial that we all speak up for free speech, but I'm just going to point out here, speaking up for free speech doesn't necessarily mean arguing everybody into submission. Sometimes the most powerful point that we can make is simply to plant the seed of truth and then step away and let people come to that truth on their own terms. Honestly, that's the only way that anybody really ever embraces new truth. If you hold them down and you twist their arm behind their back and you force them to say uncle, they may say uncle just to get away from the argument or just to stop, you know, the the rhetorical pounding that you're dishing out. But you haven't changed any minds. You haven't given them something to consider, which would enlarge their point of view. I say this knowing that I could do better at this as well. Again, check out Stossel's article. I have it posted on the show notes. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. This is The Brian Hyde Show. So glad you could join me today, whether you're catching the live broadcast or the podcast. I am so grateful to have you as part of my audience. And I know we talk a lot about COVID-19. It's just kind of a thing, right? I mean, it's just it's it's something that uh, is part of our lives now. Like it or not, we have to deal with it. Here is one of the more interesting stories that has come out in the last few days. If you're familiar with the concept of contact tracing, this is the idea that to, when you go somewhere, um, you'll, you'll see this at certain restaurants. I noticed it, uh, few, uh, I guess a few weeks ago, I went to get my haircut at Great Clips. And one of the first things he wanted to know was, how do we get in touch with you? In other words, what's your street address? What's your phone number? What's your email? Which I thought was really interesting. I mean, the email thing, okay, great. You want to send me offers? Hey, we're offering a special on beard trims or whatever. But I could tell... They were asking for that information because they were being required to keep that information, I presume. So if someone came into their shop who was infected with COVID-19 or who tested positive, they could then go back to everybody who was in the shop that day and start contact tracing. Who have you been in contact with? It was very chilling. And I will admit, in fact, I will confess if I may share my sins with you. I've not been back since and I probably won't go back. We happen to have a very talented young neighbor girl who is just a great hairstylist. And so uh, I, I take Eric Peter's advice. I go to the Samizdat, you know, the underground uh, hair cutting, and, and it works out well. And she doesn't contact trace. I guess she doesn't have to. If they, if they need to find me, they know where to find me. But the contact tracing idea chills me for some reason. Not because I think, you know, this disease needs to be spread as widely and far as possible, but more along the lines of why is it so important that, uh, you know, various states or various municipalities have hired thousands of people to go out there and, and be what they call contact tracers? It just it, it seems to be setting the stage for something that I'm not sure I want to see. And when I see in New York County uh, in Rockland County, New York, officials announced on Wednesday of this week they are issuing subpoenas to eight people allegedly infected by coronavirus. The reason they're issuing these subpoenas is because people refused to speak to tr- contact tracers voluntarily. Now, Ed Day is the county executive, and he, and I want you to listen. This, this is the mindset behind we are going to put criminal-type penalties on here. The health of our county will not be compromised because of ignorance, stupidity, or obstinance. Failure to comply will be costly, says Patricia Rupert, the county's health commissioner, $2,000 per day. You don't talk to the contact tracers, they will come after you and ruin you financially. This is according to The Hill. Officials are using the subpoenas to compel the people to talk with contact tracers about contracting COVID-19 at a June 17th party in Clarkstown, located north of New York City. Patricia Rupert said... Eight people had declined interview requests to determine who else they were in contact with and prevent them from further spreading the virus. Now in echoing frustrations expressed by health officials across the country, Rupert said the infected partygoers are not answering their phones or they are refusing to talk to authorities when contact tracers reach them. Rupert says unfortunately, I am now forced by these circumstances to to send subpoenas to individuals who are required to cooperate with us. Oh, I thought it was voluntary. Day claimed that his colleagues don't want to get anybody in trouble, they just want him to find out who else might have contracted the disease in order to keep it from spreading. Now, can you see some of the different legal questions that would arise because of this? I mean, in, in actual crimes, yeah. Let's let's consider that prior to the arrest of a suspect of a crime, An officer is free to ask questions before an arrest, but they have to inform the suspect that the questioning is voluntary and that he or she is free to leave at any time. After placing a suspect under arrest, that's when the officer will say something like, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney. If you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. So if a crime suspect doesn't have to say a word, if they have the right to remain silent, why doesn't a person allegedly in contact with a coronavirus infected person have the same right to remain silent? You see the difference here? The person who's thought to have been in contact with someone who has COVID-19 is not a suspect in a crime. Doesn't freedom of speech include this right to remain silent? And yet you have these officials in New York's Rockland County announcing that they're issuing subpoenas to people allegedly infected by coronavirus for refusing to speak with contact tracers voluntarily. And I just, I come back to the language of that county executive, our health, the health of our county will not be compromised because of ignorance, stupidity, or obstinance. My goodness. Ignorance, stupidity, or obstinance? That's why people don't want to talk to contact tracers. Maybe there's something more to it. Maybe there are other reasons to refuse to talk. For instance, do you want to be subject to forced testing? I mean, do you want to be subject to a two-week quarantine? A test may be a false positive. Maybe you're going to be considered snitching on other people and you don't want to live with that kind of behavior. Maybe you don't want to submit to an unconstitutional search of your mind. Well, who else have you talked to? Who else have you been in contact with? Maybe you just don't want to submit to a police state measure. That's not ignorance, stupidity, or obstinance. That's someone who understands what his or her rights are and is willing to assert them in the face of official coercion. I like how Michael Roseff, who writes for LewRockwell.com, says, Who owns the contents of your mind? Do you own them or does Rockland County and its contact tracers? Now, his take is he says news items like this are infuriating, looting a person's mind under the threat of excessive fines. Remember, two thousand dollars a day for failure to comply is also a violation of the Fifth Amendment. He says it's on a par with smashing a window and looting a pair of sneakers. Actually, it's worse. The notion of a thought crime is worse because it invades your being. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's, you know, it's, it's appropriate if you know that somebody is sick or if you suspect that you are sick, I don't think it's a responsible thing to go out there and spread that illness, knowingly or unknowingly. And in the case in question, people had gone to this party and uh, the authorities are saying, well, some people knew. They knew they had coronavirus symptoms, but they held this, the event anyway. And these authorities are complaining. These people we're trying to contact, they don't answer their cell phones or they don't call back. Sometimes parents answer for their adult children and promise they've been home consistently when they haven't been. How would you know that? The article here on Breitbart says, according to public health officials, contact tracing is essential to stemming the COVID-19 spread. That process involves interviewing people who've contracted the deadly and highly contagious disease about those who they've been around. So, their goal is to notify those people and require them to quarantine for 14 days to stem the disease's spread. Okay, I can get that. But why are they ratcheting it up? Why are they issuing subpoenas, which I assume are backed by the force of law? Meaning, if you ignore the subpoena, guys with guns and badges are going to show up on your step and forcibly take you to answer it. It's not a crime. And it should not be treated as a crime. And do you see where the the lines are getting blurry here? It's a very dangerous step that we're taking here. And and I don't care how frightened you may be of COVID-19. Our rights do not stop because there is a purported health emergency. Government still has to operate within its proper boundaries. If it doesn't, I mean, humor me on this. If there's an escape clause, if you will... And all they have to do is invoke, well, it's an emergency or you know, it's a public health emergency to let themselves off of their leash. Then you have no rights. You have no security. You have no way of making sure that government doesn't interfere unnecessarily in your life. They have to obey their limits. Yes, it may be inconvenient. Yes, it may be frustrating. But they were never given These these powers that are that are broad and undefined and and can be expanded at will to accomplish whatever it is that they hope to accomplish. But fear is a very curious thing. And as long as we're fearful, as long as we're off balance because we aren't sure, well, I don't know, is it as dangerous as we as we have been told? We're actually going to talk about this actually coming up in the next segment. About how. So much of what we hear about coronavirus is being used to feed those fears and keep us clamoring for somebody to save us. Why don't we hear good news? Why don't we hear some of the good news about herd immunity? And by the way, I'm going to share a story just the other side of the break that that is actually it could be very good news. But my question is, would you want to hear it or does it feel better to be, you know, huddling behind the fear? And, well, you know, just in case we ought to we ought to be clamoring for someone to tell us what to do. I'm going to remind you once again, Independence Day is tomorrow. There was a time where I think we really understood what that meant, what that stood for, what we were celebrating. At this point of American history, I'm not so sure that we could say that with any confidence. right, we are back. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Are you ready for some good news about herd immunity? Now, I I have to ask because this is something I think a lot of people may be trying to avoid. Maybe they're more comfortable living in a state of fear. But there's a great article from Reason.com. Ronald Bailey is the author. COVID-19 herd immunity is much closer than antibody tests suggest. That's according to two new studies. And Ronald Bailey says if these findings are true, that is really great news. He says the prevalence of immunity to the coronavirus that causes COVID-19 may be much higher than previous research suggests. That's according to an intriguing new study by researchers with the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. And in addition, a new German study by researchers associated with University Hospital Tübingen in Germany reports that people who have previously been infected with versions of the coronavirus that cause the common cold also have some immunity to the COVID-19 virus. Now, this is preliminary, but if these reports stand up to further scrutiny, that could be very good news because they suggest that the pandemic could soon be over or could be over sooner, rather, and ultimately be less lethal than feared. Now, there are a few caveats here. Both of these studies are based on small sample sizes. Neither have yet been vetted by peer review. Here's the really curious thing. I have no doubt there are people right now going, aha, see, almost like they they want things to be bad they want things to be you know that worst case scenario i don't know are you are you just addicted to the adrenaline rush that comes from living in fear or are what is it why would you want things to be bad why would you wish for instance you know anytime there's a public gathering or a protest you know against the lockdown you know well i hope these people all get COVID 19 Or they're they're disappointed when they find out nobody got COVID-19. I saw this happen with the Colin Ray concert that took place in southern Utah just a couple of weeks ago. People literally are disappointed that, well, nobody got it yet, but they probably will. Why would you want that? What kind of a small soul wishes for people? Is it just because that need to be right is so strong? All right. Back to the article. In the Swedish study, researchers not only checked 200 participants for the presence of immunological proteins called antibodies produced in response to COVID-19 infections, but they also checked them for T-cells, which are another virus-fighting component of the immune system. Detecting and evaluating T-cells is a little bit trickier than measuring antibodies. For instance, the Karolinska researchers According to the accompanying press release, performed immunological analyses of samples from over 200 people, many of whom had mild or no symptoms of COVID-19. The study tested COVID-19 patients exposed asymptomatic family members, healthy blood donors who gave blood during 2020, and also a 2019 donor control group. Karolinska researcher Sue Alleman said one interesting observation was that it wasn't just individuals with verified COVID-19 who showed T-cell immunity but also many of their exposed asymptomatic family members. Moreover, roughly 30% of the blood donors who'd given blood in May 2020 had COVID-19-specific T-cells, a figure that's much higher than previous antibody tests have shown. Now, the Karolinska Center for Infectious Medicine researcher Marcus Bugert said, our results indicate that roughly twice as many people have developed T-cell immunity compared with those who we can actually detect antibodies in. Now, herd immunity, of course, is the resistance to the spread of contagious disease that results if a sufficiently high proportion of a population is immune to the illness. Some people are still susceptible, but they're surrounded by immune individuals who serve as a barrier, preventing the microbes from reaching them. Epidemiologists typically estimate COVID-19's threshold for herd immunity should be around 60 to 70 percent. Now, the Swedish researchers caution it remains to be determined if a robust memory T cell response in the absence of detectable circulating antibodies can protect against the, the virus. But here comes a second study in which German researchers analyzed blood samples of 365 people, of which 180 had COVID 19, 185 had not. When they exposed the blood samples to the COVID 19 coronavirus, they found, as expected, the blood from those who had the illness produced a substantial immune response. But more significantly, they also found that 81% of the subjects who had never had COVID-19 also produced a T-cell immune reaction. This is according to the Science Times. If the German study's results prove out, that would suggest that the earlier common cold vi- coronavirus infections may provide about 8 in 10 people some degree of protection from the COVID-19 virus. the findings in both of these studies are potentially very good news with respect to public health and, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. So here's hoping that future replications will validate them. I know you may think, well, Brian, you're just grasping at straws here. Maybe I am. But my point is that there's more good news out there than we're, we're being told and the focus is still on, well, look at these cases skyrocketing, skyrocketing. That's not necessarily bad news. If, in fact, it is leading us closer to herd immunity. All this lockdown stuff, all of the, the masks and you know the preventative measures, remember, flatten the curve. All that's doing is pushing future infections further out into the future. Prolonging the pandemic. Maybe it's time to consider another approach like... We live our lives. If you're part of of an at-risk group, take the necessary precautions. Be responsible, like Cheryl uh, Mosley points out. But don't give up everything, hoping that government will keep you safe somehow by taking complete control of your life. All right, we're going to shift gears one more time here. When in the course of human events, great article here from Judge Andrew Napolitano. He starts with a quote from Edmund S. Morgan. Government requires make-believe. Make-believe that the king is divine. Make-believe that he can do no wrong. Or make-believe that the voice of the people is the voice of God. Make-believe that the people have a voice. Or make-believe that representatives of the people are the people. Make-believe that governors are the servants of the people. Make-believe that all men are created equal. Or make-believe that they are not. Judge Napolitano says in the summer of 1776, revolution was in the air. Congress was meeting in Philadelphia, and it was impatient. Bloody skirmishes between colonial militias and British troops were upsetting the countryside. More British troops were on their way. Congress sensed it needed to do something. It wanted to vote for secession from Great Britain, and it needed a compelling document setting forth the reasons for doing so. He says historians have estimated from reading letters, pamphlets, sermons, essays, newspaper editorials, and speeches from that era that only about one-third of the colonists favored using force to secede. But that one-third whipped the winds of change. At hand was the decision to revolt and to make an understandable argument in its support. Congress represented the radicals who wanted the British government gone. Neither the one-third of the public that wanted it to stay, nor the one-third that didn't care, had a voice in Philadelphia. In the late spring of the year of revolution, Congress appointed a committee of five to compose a document stating the reasons for leaving the mother country. One was Thomas Jefferson, and he was assigned the task by the other four of drafting the document. He wrote four drafts, the final of which the committee presented to Congress. Congress adopted the uh, the resolution. I'm sorry. They adopted the Declaration of Independence on July 2nd, 1776. It was dated July 4th and not fully signed until later that summer. The vote was unanimous, and the word went forth to the 13 colonies that they were now free and independent. Now, of course, the word also went forth to the king, whom the British people believed was divinely chosen to rule over them, who interpreted the declaration as an act of treason treason rather and an invitation to war. The declaration's essence is that all people have natural Equal natural rights that no government can take away by legislation or command. Those rights can be used freely to pursue and defend life, liberty, and happiness. Those rights can also be used to consent or not to consent to a government. And the only legitimate role of government is to protect the rights of those who consented. This theory, which Jefferson crafted, was the most radical theory of government at the time. No king, no ruler, no edicts, crushing personal freedom, just a popular government born in the consent of the governed and limited to protecting their rights. Now, the government would not come about, of course, until the bloody war was completed. In reality, the real revolution was completed by July 4th, 1776, because it was a revolution of minds more than of government. The colonists were not trying to kill the king as the French would soon do. They just wanted him gone. Ah, but the revolution of men's minds, the idea that government was not legitimate unless consented to and limited, that individual personal freedom, not government power, is the default position, all of this was stirred up by the radicals, articulated by Jefferson, embraced by Congress, achieved by blood, and acquiesced by the king, was as much a change for our forebears as was the violence against the British. They were free the revolutionary spirit of maximum individual liberty and minimum government embraced and personified America in July 1776. And then he asks a question that I think most of us would be very hard pressed to answer and that is, where did it go? Today we have government at the local, state and federal levels that claims authority to right any wrong, regulate any behavior, tax any event and transfer any wealth so long as it can find public support. Why have we strayed from these ideals? That's a question each one of us needs to be able to answer. Maybe a little time spent contemplating that this weekend would be healthy for all of us.